Accent Answered is a production of the College of Liberal and Applied Arts at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Stephen F. Austin State University. Welcome to this edition of Ask and Answered, in which we once again look at the topic of AI and ChatGPT and its imp- impact on education. I have my three guests here. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Justin Hughes. I'm a current uh, uh, recent graduate from SFA, and I finished an independent study on artificial intelligence and its effects on uh, liberal arts departments, specifically English. My name is Mark Guidry. I'm the associate provost at uh, SFA, as well as an English professor here. Hi, I'm Liz Tasker Davis. I'm the chair of the English and Creative Writing Department. Um, I have a background in rhetoric and 18th century women writers. Okay, and I'm Tom Reynolds, your moderator today. Okay, now this is our third uh, episode that we've done on AI for this podcast, and uh, it's not because we run out of ideas, it's that this particular issue just keeps growing and expanding on a almost in a public narrative on a regular basis. Um, both uh, critics and uh, champions of AI and ChatGPT will both agree that it's that it's expanding and advancing at a, an alarming rate. Um, so I want to go to you first, Justin, um, uh, and just to add context, even though we're only going to talk about ChatGPT in the context of education. I want to bring up the Writers Guild strike that's going on in uh, Los Angeles right now. Uh, it's, it started May 1st, and uh, they've been on strike for three, we- three weeks. And what's interesting is that what was a minor issue a few uh, months ago is now the major uh, point of the strike, which is they are afraid of artificial intelligence taking over their jobs. And that was one of their demands, that uh, ChatGPT would be strongly regulated and limited. And the studio said no. They actually walked away from that and said, "No, we're, we're, we'll discuss that a year from now, but we're not going to. T- we're going to table that. We're not going to c- compromise on that," which really freaked out people. So, um, and I remember floating this to you a couple of days ago, uh, Justin, and you said that the writers are doomed. So, as our resident uh, AI authority and and uh, de facto buzzkill today, uh, why don't you <laughs> tell me why do you say that and uh, what is going on with ChatGPT? Where is it now? The first thing I want to address is uh, just the speed at, at how this, what this is, what's happening here. Um, one of the very first things that Dr. McIntosh and I talked about uh, during the independent study, the very first question we said was, okay, if I'm a content creator, why would I pay dozens of writers um, to accomplish something when I could pay a single writer, a good writer who has access to AI, that can outperform them for a fraction of the cost? So why, why would I do that? And the unfortunate uh, answer and the harsh answer is uh, I wouldn't. You know, so this is this is happening. Um, we're going to see AI have, throw, have a much larger role in the creative process, um, and there's going to be kind of a, a calling of writers. that's going to happen as far as you know. One writer can do what what many writers can do, and it's just unfortunately that's just what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, what's interesting about the time frame is we talked about this a couple months ago, and within a week, a couple weeks of us talking about that, uh, BuzzFeed and Sports Illustrated announced that they were cutting writers in favor of AI. And now we are a couple months later, and one of the largest writing organizations in America is under threat. So that's the curve of how fast this stuff is coming at us. And the train's not going to stop because there's a direct path from them to the writing programs that train these writers, you know, and what that means for us. I mean, there's a narrative out there that writers aren't going to be needed anymore. So what does that mean for academia? 
Okay, so now I want to throw this to you, Mark. Um, as the associate provost, you're overlooking um, a lot of the uh, curriculum that we're going to be developing in the fall. How are we going to address um, students using ChatGPT? Uh, how can we um, instruct them in it? How can we control it? How can we? What, what can we do with it? Um, well, that's a really tough question that uh, people are trying to come to grips with, not just here, but I see articles uh, almost on a daily basis uh, in uh, the Chronicle of Higher Education about this problem inside higher ed, uh, university business, all of these major publications, which I guess are going to be replaced by ChatGPT, their, their writers uh, soon, uh, <laughs> are, are all talking about this problem. But, you know, it's not just the Hollywood writers um, and writers for media outlets like BuzzFeed or who knows, the Chronicle of Higher Ed that, that might get replaced by uh, ChatGPT. But uh, I've been reading accountants, lawyers, um, right, uh, uh, coders, and this, this was a hot field, you know, people learning how to code, right? All of that could be done, um, except maybe at some very highly specialized level by uh, generative AI. So uh, this is going to be very, very disruptive in, uh, you know, the economy, the marketplace. Our students are already worried about this. Um, my student worker uh, uh who is a business major, she's a marketing major, uh, told me she's worried about losing her job. As far as trying to control this in the classroom, I, I don't think you can simply try to ban it. Um, I know that uh, Turnitin and you know different uh, uh, software products that uh, look for plagiarism uh, in student writing uh, are, are saying they're gonna be able to check for uh, content created by uh, ChatGPT and other generative AI uh, platforms. Um, but there's already been, I, I read an article about a student who was falsely accused uh, through Turnitin of using uh, ChatGPT. So uh, there's going to be false positives. Uh, it's not going to be foolproof anyway. Uh, I read another article from, from a student uh, in the Chronicle basically saying, look, it's not as simple as I uh, get my paper uh, written by ChatGPT. Uh, there's lots of ways you can use generative AI to change how you do an assignment. Like you, you could ask for prompts, ask ChatGPT for, you know, what are uh, uh, 10 different thesis statements uh, on this topic? Uh, then you pick the one you like the most that ChatGPT has created. Then you say, okay, now uh, ChatGPT, create an outline for this thesis statement, and then it creates the outline. Uh, and then maybe you write the paragraphs, or maybe you say, okay, based on the first uh, topic or, or, or the first point in the outline that uh, you, ChatGPT, have created, write me a paragraph uh, responding to that particular topic or subtopic. Uh, you know, and then it writes the paragraph and then maybe you change up the writing to try to make it reflect your voice, right? So that it's not so easy for uh, Turnitin to detect it. Um, so there's going to be ways around getting detected um, and ways of, of, you know, you could ask ChatGPT to look up your sources for you to do, do your research or part of your research, right? Where you're not doing all of it. 
Um, as a composition instructor, the, the only thing that I can think of that would really uh, combat this would be have students do the writing in the classroom, right? And you can't do that with all of your assignments. I think I will be giving more in-class uh, writing uh, but I, I think I'm also going to have to come up with ways to try to get students to use uh, generative AI in an ethical way and to realize the limitations that it doesn't care about whether something is true or false, for instance, right? So that it can give lots of misinformation and disinformation um, and, and how to use it, but then to be able to analyze the quality of the information uh, and detect what's true and not true. Um, it can make up sources, right? And so, so the importance of proper uh, sourcing. I, I mean, it's going to be a tough uh, thing to do, but but we can't just say it's it's going to be totally off limits because students are going to use it. So how can how can we get them to use it responsibly? How can we change our assignments to to make sure we're getting more uh, genuine work? And then there's the whole problem of um, you know, like say in the Middle Ages, um, there was no such thing as copyright. Uh, imitation was considered actually appropriate. You know, if you you took uh, work uh, quotations from other writers, that was not considered wrong. It was considered the the fondest uh, uh, form of flattery, right? Um, and so maybe the whole notion of what is uh, you know, original originality is going to change once again. Uh, and, and in some ways, maybe, maybe for the good, because, you know, to pretend that everything we come up with is original, that that was always really kind of silly anyway. Well, who knew that Chaucer was stealing stuff, okay, from Canterbury Tales. Liz, um, you said you've been working with ChatGPT in an experimental way, uh, just trying out. What did you think of it, and uh, how do you foresee working with your students? Well, I want to step back from the question a little bit and kind of react to what uh, Justin and Mark have already uh, talked about and say that I don't think taking an alarmist approach is necessary at all. I think this is a fascinating new technology and there's going to be a huge potential with it. We don't know exactly what the future is going to be. I don't see it causing, you know, huge unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have reasons for that, but, uh, and I will get to I guess more your more specific question, but I want to start with something that I was thinking about, which is the coffee cake metaphor. Um, in we that love, we love metaphors. Yes, yes. Uh, so if you have a coffee cake made from scratch, that's going to be a delicious coffee cake. That's mostly what we think of. Whereas if you go to say Walmart or Kroger and you get a store bought cake, and I'm uh, speaking to Mark here because we we have a history of liking food from scratch versus store bought. Um, it's not going to be as good, usually. So do you always have to start from scratch, or is the store-bought cake you know, sometimes better? There's also a middle ground where I have a coffee cake recipe where you use a cake mix and a, 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 a pudding mix and eggs and flour. So there's some original scratch ingredients, and there's some ingredients in the middle. So I feel like the chat GPT question is a lot like that, where do we require students to do everything original from scratch 
or do we turn a blind eye or not realize when they've just completely plagiarized something or just had chat GPT generate it. And as Mark was saying, there is middle ground where we use it for things like outlining or um, one thing that I was wondering about as an application, we have, a, we have professors that complain about students' grammar. Can you feed an essay that maybe you wrote yourself into ChatGPT and say, fix all my grammar? I bet you can. So would that be valid? You well, know? they already have that. They have Grammarly will do that. You know, that you know, there's, there's other software programs that yes, will fix Yes, there, are, there yeah. are software programs that do that. They don't yeah. always do it well. Um, and maybe ChatGPT, you could give it some more direction, like I want it to sound this way or that way. So, I, you know, I'm... I think there's a lot of uses that ChatGPT will, will have for, for students and for writers and for all, all different kinds of professions. Um, but I want to also say that, you know, we have calculators, we still have math, we have ebooks, but people still read books. So I don't think that writers are going to become obsolete or lawyers are going to become obsolete because there's something called human factors. And human factors, Humans make decisions. Humans, as technical writers, decide, you know, how is this piece of writing going to work with this machinery? Is it a just-in-time pop-up thing? You know, what is the best application? Uh, how do we present this information that needs to be presented? And I, you know, I guess chat GPT can give advice on those kinds of things as well, but I just don't see... Um, I think there's some things that humans can do that ChatGPT can't. So let's take it and use it as a tool in the classroom, uh, in our jobs. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm coming from with it is uh, I, th I think that teachers should be teaching it and we should be, there's a lot of ways right now um, in our department where, <clears throat> excuse me, coming up with a 30 page document on how to use GP, chat GPT in the classroom. Is it written by chat GPT? Uh, yes. Yes, it is written <laughs> by chat GPT. It is. It is. It's written by several uh, professors. I know that the UT uh, Center for Teaching and Learning, UT Austin, they already have a big set of documentation on it. So it's exciting more than scary to me. Um, and we'll just have to see how it goes. Justin, I can tell you want to jump in here. Well, story. there's something that um, I was. <coughs> I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Gucci, you saw my final presentation. So this is a, a story that uh, I, I presented, and it was about the uh, the photographer that uh, won the Sony International Contest um, for photography by using AI. You know, he had AI generated. He, they said, "Oh, you're the winner," and he said, "I can't accept it because this is totally AI generated." Um, but I argued my during my presentation that there's a strong argument that that he actually did win that contest because it, he didn't just type in "give me an award-winning photograph." No, he sorted through AI-generated images until his photographic eye said. That's the award winner. You know what I'm saying? He was using his skill to identify which one was going to win that contest. And so um, there's an argument that, you know, we kind of view it as competition, but really it is a tool. So there's a hypothetical here. Let's say that the three of us, you know, we were going to go to, we were given a task where we had to write a 10-page essay, um, and we had unlimited use with uh, AI. You could use, we, the entire thing could be generated. Any of us could do that. Theoretically, the two of you should be able to produce a much better essay than I can because you have doctor experience. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> we're all using the same tool, and yeah, but like I said, your skill is going to give you that edge as far as creating the ultimate essay because you know what a good essay should look like. Whereas I can just say, type me an essay, but I'm not quite sure which one I should choose. You know, so we should look at it as a tool and see. The thing is, the two uses. There's three uses of this. There's first, don't use it. You know, because you, you need to be original. There's the limited use, but the one that hasn't been discussed is. 
what are the unlimited used scenarios? Let's just say, for instance, we went full 180 and said, okay, not only is AI allowed, it's mandatory. From now on, pretty much every paper you're gonna use, you're gonna use AI on it. So then the question becomes, well, how do we grade an AI paper? You know, if a student turns it in, and that's a tough question, it's almost like photography where you could say, okay, go take a picture of a tree. You know what I'm saying? And there's a picture of a tree, but then there's photography of a tree. You know what I'm saying? And so what kind of scenarios, how do we grade? How do we grade AI, you know, if it's unlimited use? You just uh, ask ChatGPT to grade for you. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a little on the idea that you would mandate using ChatGPT. And here's why. I think that something that could get lost, that can get lost, if that was a mandate, is somebody's natural critical thinking process. You know, there's a process of composition, and everybody's process for writing is different, but the process of building sentences and paragraphs, and that produces a deeper and close connection to material, and that's writing to learn. I'm not saying you can't, use chat GPT to do that, but it shouldn't be mandated. And uh, students need to have their own aha moments with or without chat GPT. Uh, so I don't think it should be mandated to, it shouldn't be banned and it shouldn't be mandated. It should be oh, integrated. Yeah. Well, so I'm certainly, that was just a hypothetical I'm saying. Right. But do you think it could be mandated in certain assignments? Like in this assignment, well, you have yeah. to write a 10 page paper and you have to use chat GPT. Of course. Any, mm -hmm. any instructor can mandate their requirements for their assignment. But then, then again, it brings up how do you grade something like that? Because I mean, there's some school districts around the nation that have banned it completely, which I think is short sighted because it's like you can't ban that. It's, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. They're going to dial back on that very fast. Well, what I've already did in New York, the Department of Education had banned it back in March, and then they rescinded the ban a few days ago because they realized it wasn't going to work. But, but then it brings about the whole thing of where is the dividing line between a student using it ethically and a student using it to cheat. Well, I have a response to that. One thing I think we should have, and I just was telling Jason this before the meeting, you know at the end of an essay, works cited, where you list your works that you cite. Well, students don't always do that. And some students, even without ChatGPT, think it's okay to go on the internet and just, you know, commit what we would call patchwork or mosaic plagiarism. And they think that's part of their process. And that, that is a problem. So what I'd like to see is at the end of every essay is a work cited, which works that are cited in the, in the essay, works consulted, and tools used. So I used Microsoft Word to compose this. I used these websites to get background information. I interviewed this person, or you know, I used ChatGPT to do these pieces of it. And so I think, and this is something Jason and I have been talking about, is that one of the things that we really can do to combat or to integrate ChatGPT is have students theorize their writing processes, whether it's through journaling, reflection essays, narratives, presentations. So you know, what is my process? What am I doing? So the student's conscious of how they're composing and and if they're not being forthcoming on that that's the ethical problem you know if they're going out to their favorite websites and not reporting it if they're gen using chat gpt to save them hours of work and they're not owning up to that that's the ethical problem i i would see and there's also a, a there's some legal aspects here as far as using chat gpt as far as original work um because legally speaking um, anything where you use any AI generated anything uh, cannot be copyrighted at all. It's uh, it's public domain. Um, whereas if it's you you wrote it, then you can copyright it. 
So that's as far as what you're using it for is a major thing. So if you're teaching creative writing, you know, I wouldn't teach creative writers to use ChatGPT to help them write their novel because then they'll never be able to copyright it. Well, Although, they can as long as there's some kind of like revision of it. Because that's the I don't want to get off on just on a tangent with Writers Guild, but that is one of the things they they, they tell the writers say you can't have them write a script for for you because you can't copyright it. Oh, they'll worry about that. We'll get somebody to come in here and he'll spend half a day, you know, cleaning up the dialogue, things like this, and we'll throw a name on there, and then we've copyrighted it. But on its own, uh, an AI uh, present, create a document in a screenplay or whatever, a short story, cannot be copyrighted. But there are ways around it. Yeah, they're going to be playing with that. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be able to get around it. So you were about to say something, Mark. Oh, I was going to say that uh, there are novelists who are already using it uh, to help create their novels. Yeah, there's a whole market on uh, Amazon right now where they're doing it. And they don't own the copyright to it, so you could legally print one and, and sell it yourself if you wanted to, and they couldn't do much about it. But like I said, nobody's caught up on this, so there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to make a bunch of money on it and then until somebody figures out the loophole, and then it'll dry up. You know, That's an interesting. I don't know that much about the copyright laws. I, I have heard, though, like if you have a recipe and you take it from, say, a cookbook, can you publish it as your own? Well, what I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, as long as you change one ingredient or one step, you've made a new recipe, and then you can publish it as your own. So, um, yeah, I mean, what Tom, what you were saying is if you modify, if you start with something that you that's generated and then you manipulate it in some way, it becomes your own. Well, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because there was a landmark Supreme Court decision made just a few days ago regarding this in which... Um, apparently, and this has to do with the Andy Warhol estate, it has nothing to do with AI, but what happens, they, they took a, uh, um, uh, a photograph of Prince that was done by a woman named Lynn Goldsmith that was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, or some magazine, and she got paid 400 bucks for it. And then the magazine sold that, that uh, photograph of Prince to the Andy Warhol estate for $10,000, and then they did a silkscreen of it. And then the photographer saw the, wait a minute, that's my photo. You know, and it, well, yeah, but we manipulated and things like this. And when always Supreme Court, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the photographer saying, yeah. no, the, this is the original work. I don't care how much you manipulate it. This is the original work, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a seven to two um, uh, in favor of the photographer. So the thing is about AI uh, is that it is, the writers go call it the plagiarism machine because everything it puts out is because it just basically is a huge quantum sweep of the internet sure. of things and, and puts things together. And as far as how it generates text, someone made a great description of it. They said it's basically like the, the autotype on your phone in, on steroids. You know, it just it completes things. It just goes like that very quickly. But that's how it's done. And it, and it doesn't come up with an original idea. It just kind of like, it just grabs, apparently AI written scripts are very cliche. Uh, Structure-wise, they're good, but the dialogue is horrific. It's right, terrible. Right. But they go, but we'll just have one guy clean it up, and we can f- get rid of nine writers. And this can get into other aspects of the corporate world of you know, and, and paralegals and things like this. You can have one person just overseeing. It's not unlike the, the cashier at Walmart. The one person is overseeing 12 checkout stations. Right. You know, we don't need 12. We just have one person, and everyone's just checking themselves out. Well, it's the same thing here. We can use ChatGPT to do 90% of the work. We have this one person kind of overseeing it. So the goal is you have to be that person. <laughs> you have to be that person who's overseeing it. Well, that, that gets back to something that Liz was saying, that she didn't <laughs> think there would be massive, uh, you know, uh, disruption of employment because of uh, generative AI. 
Um, I, I think we have to acknowledge that tech, big technology shifts always create disruptions in employment. Uh, you, you look at the mining industry. Um, there's been, you know, ironically, all this argument about, you know, we got to keep these, you know, guys in West Virginia employed. Well, um, the mining industry in terms of number of uh, employees uh, is a shadow of what it used to be, not because of a shift to green energy, but because of technology, strip mining. They can mine way more coal with a lot fewer people than ever before. Same thing with the auto industry. You can make a lot more cars with fewer people because of robotics. Machines are making most of the cars now, not human beings. So th there's going to be the same effect here. And of course, you could say, well, it might create jobs, uh, you know, like who, who, who designed the robots who replace the workers to make the cars. Um, yeah, but it's probably going to be fewer jobs and at a much higher level of education and training to get those jobs. So there is going to be disruption. And, and I think something else we haven't uh, addressed is what is the effect of generative AI going to be in terms of uh, information flows and, uh, you know, being able to ensure that people get good information instead of uh, fake news, right? And we've already seen how social media has uh, infected that whole, you know, uh, process of trying to get real news to people as opposed to having algorithms that feed people the news, quote unquote, they want to hear, uh, you know, to, to uh, you know, basically uh, uh, placate their biases. How, oh, go ahead. Um, just to respond to that, I think, you know, that it's true. You know, we don't have mining, people working in the mines. We don't have people working on assembly lines the way that we that we. Uh, did and so there's been displacement in different industries it makes me you know the rhetoric of this or the the trajectory of this you know makes me think of that movie wall wally wally yeah yeah sure. where the people just roll around on on uh, they don't even have you know they don't even use their legs anymore so um where do these people go you know you can't be we we cannot afford to be luddites and insist that we still want to work in the mines when the mine you know when there's better ways of doing things um but i think we have to we have to be realistic optimistic and not pessimistic about about these these new tools um but yeah there's Getting it back to our students, our stu I think one of the things we really need to deal with is the ethics of this. And, uh, you know, what is ethical, like, in terms of generating information? How do the students know if it's true or if it's false? You know, if we're teaching freshman composition and we let students pick whatever they want to write about as instructors, are we going to be able to validate the accuracy of everything that chat GPT generates? We're not. So there are a lot of fact-checking and information management and ethical uh, things to take into account. And I really don't have a solution, I, you know, to that. Well, I was you know, ask that. I, I'm certainly not saying that we should be Luddites. Um, it's, it's no, not, I know you're not. <laughs> it, it, it's not an either-or thing. I've already said, yeah, we've got to try to teach students how to integrate generative AI in the most ethical and right. productive, uh, you know, and useful way possible. On the other hand, like, you know, uh, this whole problem of 
how do we make sure people know what's good information from bad information? I watched a video a couple weeks ago generated by uh, a Republican marketing uh, firm. Prager uh, U? Uh, Prager U? I, I'm not sure the name of the firm, but it was basically an early uh, anti-Joe Biden commercial for the next president's race. It, it wasn't created for a specific candidate, but just by the Republican Party basically to, to go against Biden. Um, and it, it created scenarios that were generated by AI that were not real. Uh, for instance, uh, China has invaded Taiwan. Um, there's massive hordes of people running across an open border from Mexico into the United States, uh, which even though some people talk about open borders, we don't have open borders. There was a, a huge recession. Basically, the gist of the whole thing was all these things are going to happen if you reelect Joe Biden. And of course, none of them have happened. But when you watch the video, it looks awfully real, um, like they were all happening, right? Uh, and, you know, once again, um, how do you prevent individuals from simply feeding their own biases when they see these kinds of things? Mm -hmm. And if it's so easy to produce them right. and it can be done so quickly and so repetitively and distributed so massively on, a, on such a big scale, you do you do have a, a real problem. Well, you know, talk about ethical concerns. Um, you know, one thing, we, and Justin, you can address this. Um, uh, ChatGPT, one of its problems is that it's basically a, a giant Google machine, and it goes everywhere. It'll actually go into the dark web. You know, so and it just takes things that it finds. So if I actually went on a on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and said, uh, Dr. Mark Guidry, besides being associate provost, he's also a drummer in a Pink Floyd tribute band called Dark Side of the Wall. And I put that on there. And then I went to ChatGPT a day later and said, uh, give me a bio on Mark, Dr. Mark Guidry, uh, associate provost. So I say, that'll show up there. And I'll say, he's also a drummer in a Pink Floyd tribute band. Simply because it found it on the web because I put it there. That's why people have been falsely accused of things because someone, some troll posted something and then ChatGPT found it. And right. that's one of the problems with it, right, Justin? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's it's only producing answers that it thinks are what are appropriate. And Well, it just sweeps and just grabs yeah. things and throws it together, you know? And that's the question. I mean, how do you address that? And that's... I think that does come down to higher learning in university. I think that's kind of our, you know, it's part of one of the, it's, we're, we're, it's our job to teach people how to think. Right. And so this almost goes back to stuff that's kind of like shrunk and shrunk. I mean, we go back to philosophy and ethics and stuff and developing those skills where you can look at a video like that and say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. I need to have, you know, we need to develop the skills where I can say, I can go check on that and I can mm -hmm. check other sources and mm -hmm. like, okay, if you think something sounds suspicious, how do you verify it? You know, and just right. teach those skills. and. Yeah, how do we do that? Do we have, is there a class? Everyone has required to take misinformation 101? Yeah. What, or, what, what, what I've been thinking of doing is one assignment for my freshman comp would be uh, I give the students a prompt that is controversial. I ask them to generate an essay from ChatGPT based on that prompt. But then they have to analyze what information did ChatGPT provide on the subject yeah. that is accurate and what is inaccurate, you know, what is actually misinformation. And so that's going to require them to do their own analysis in a real critical way. 
and also teach them the limitations of this new, I don't know, what do you call it, uh, medium? What, what do you call chat GPT? Um, What's well, a large language model? Large language, yeah. my mind. Okay. Okay. This, this new model. Well, I have a funny story. Some professors that I know uh, that were playing around, and I won't say who who they are, but uh, they were asking, did uh, Professor So-and-so ever plagiarize anything? And the chat GPT would come back and say, no, Professor So-and-so never plagiarized. There is no record of Professor So-and-so plagiarizing uh, their, their uh, scholarship. Are you sure? Check again. They asked, and then ChatGPT goes comes back and says, "Well, yes, Professor So and So plagiarized on this essay or this book, and they weren't essays or books that this person had even written." And then, did Professor So and So ever commit a crime? Well, we find no record of Professor So and So committing a crime. Well, why don't you check again? Oh, yes, they were accused of embezzling back in you know such and such. So, so wait, this really happened? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It changes with people all the that time. we all know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Playing okay. with chat GPT. Well, I, well, and also because, and because of this, people say, "Well, this just shows you the you know, the limitations and problems with it." Yeah, now, but they're going to correct all these things five, four or five months. You know, whatever limitations it has now and flaws that are in it, they're going to be corrected probably four or five months from now, if not quicker. Well, well Tom, is it you know you were talking about how uh, chat GPT can produce a good structure for like maybe a. a, a 20, 30 minute TV sitcom, right? Yeah. But that the dialogue is bad. Is it going to get good at the dialogue? Is well, it going to become they're afraid funny? It, no, they're afraid. Well, because it, it trains. It's, they, they want the writers to train it, which, which they're refusing to do. They'll say, we'll, we'll find someone who will do it. And what do you see? Do you think it's going to get to the point that it's Absolutely. able to crank out? Um, okay, well, you know, the next how, Godfather. How long has the Simpsons, <laughs> how long has the Simpsons been running now? And the Simpsons, Simpsons has been running for what over thirty years? No, Twenty five years. We, right now, we have the technology that the Simpsons never has to end. It can just keep on going. We can replicate the voices. We have enough, you know. Oh, that's stuff. so wonderful. It can just keep going, <laughs> and that's AI. You know, what I'm saying we're going to enter into a whole new where things are going to. Are you upset that Star Trek only had two seasons, the original Star Trek? Well, now we can make unlimited seasons. We can have infinite Star Trek seasons. They can just have these these formulas that go in and write this stuff. Well, I've already so stopped it's gonna watching happen. this. It's going to happen. So. We're going to see this whole weird phase of art where all this weird stuff's going to come out. This would not be good, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. The one of the biggest worries, I mean. A worry to me is what this opens up. The new opportunities this opens up for hackers. You know, oh, well, now we can uh, infiltrate ChatGPT and start, like, sending subliminal messages or putting out, you know, like, mis creating mischievous I don't information. Think they even, you don't even have to hack. You can just, yeah, it's you, not you, hack. Don't, you don't even have yeah. to hack. You can just throw it out there and it'll, go, you know, it'll run yeah. with it. But if it, we start know. putting go algorithms into it, you know, like, maybe these algorithms can... Influence, you know, like can possibly show how we could influence people, you know, like like hackers use technology in very creative ways. So I'm just saying that I wonder what this will. Well, like I said, I've said previously, you know, the only way to stop a bad guy with AI is a good guy with AI. There you go. I agree. <laughs> okay. Well, we just have about uh, two minutes left here. So, um, Mark, I want to ask you, um, where do you, where do you want this to go? Where would you like to see a? Our well, I mean. I think uh, if in five years we've developed reliable ways to integrate generative AI into a variety of assignments, not just for English, uh, but you know, in the sciences, for instance, in social sciences, in different applied disciplines, that that would be wonderful. I I I, I agree uh, with both uh, uh, my uh, colleagues here that 
we can't just try to ban it, make it off limits. Um, I do think we're going to see more integration. Um, we are going to see probably superior detection uh, software as well. And we're just going to have to find the sweet spot somewhere in between, uh, you know, I hate it and uh, total adoption. Liz, what do you think? I think Mark, Mark is right. I think that it's, as I said, it's exciting and um, we don't know how it's going to go, but uh, certainly sh belongs in the university settings and in education. I mean, so I'm... I'm cautiously optimistic about it. Well, I, I think we don't, have to be af we don't have to be afraid of the AI. We have to be afraid of the humans who are using the AI. So, uh, Justin, Mark, and Liz, thank you for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.